Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Katie Carella was an elementary school teacher when she began to notice a problem. I have my master's in elementary education, and then I went on to teach first, second, and third grades. And what I really saw was that there was just this hole in classroom libraries for kids at this level, at this transitional reading level. And personally, I just feel like this level is so crucial to developing readers. You know, if you lose a child at this level, they're automatically like, I'm not, I'm not a reader. I don't like reading. Now an editor at Scholastic, Katie is creating books that fill that gap. Branches is a line of books for newly independent readers who are ready to move beyond leveled readers, but who aren't quite prepared for traditional chapter books. The books include easy-to-read text, simple but compelling plot lines, plenty of context clues, and lots of illustrations that aid reading comprehension. Let's hear more from Katie about how she works with authors to create the perfect formula that gets kids reading and asking for more. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the program. Hi, Suzanne. It's great to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Could you tell us about the Branches line? Who is it geared for and what makes it unique? When we launched Branches, there was nothing else like it in the marketplace. There was this hole that I really wanted to fill. And the line is aimed at newly independent readers across ages five to eight. The books technically all have a second grade reading level, but they appeal to kids across kindergarten all the way up through third grade, depending on their interest level. All of the Branches books have easy to read decodable text. Um, They have artwork on every single page. Some series are black and white, some are full color. So really it's all about choice and letting kids grab and gravitate toward the series that they're most interested in. Why is choice so important, especially for kids this age? Yeah, choice is really important because we want kids to be engaged and passionate readers. You could pass a kid a book that you love and say, you're going to love this, and they might not actually love it. They might not have an interest in dragons or or in monsters, or in whatever topic you're handing to them. And you want to really give them the opportunity to have ownership over what they're reading. And so I recommend that what you do is kind of take as many branches series as you have and lay them out and say, which one do you want to read? And let the kid really make that choice and empower them as a reader. Well said. Why did you see a need for a book line like Branches? So before I came into the children's editorial world of publishing, I taught first, second, and third grade. And it was really through my experiences in the classroom that I saw this gaping hole. You know, all that was really available for kids at that reading level, that that second, third grade reading level, were books from like the 70s, like Nate the Great or Amelia Bedelia. And then there's, there's Junie B. Jones and there's Magic Treehouse. But that's literally all that was really available at that time. So to, to be able to come onto the scene with really fresh page-turning series like Owl Diaries, Notebook of Doom. It's really groundbreaking in a way because there there really wasn't anything fresh and new for these readers. Branches books do in particular is they build reading confidence and fluency. And so the idea is that a child starts with the first book in a series. And basically once they read that first book and they have that sense of accomplishment, they know, okay, I could do this. They know every book after that is also going to be attainable to them. So the idea is that they read the first one, they can't put it down, 
down. And that's why we put cliffhanger chapter endings. We often have a cliffhanger at the end of a book. So kids really are just, they, they're unable to stop reading, which is what we want. Um, and so it just builds their fluency to be able to say, hey, they flew through that book in two hours. And I'm sure parents are like, geez, I wish they took longer. But the idea is that, right? That they're building that confidence and really fl- flying through books that they love. Yeah, the books are so charming. I found myself flying through them too. And I love the cliffhangers. <laughs> oh, good. What has been the response since Branches launched in 2013, especially teachers, parents, students? What are they telling you? I mean, it's been such an incredible response, Uh, just in terms of sales alone. Like, we have over 19 million books in print. Whoa. Um, Yeah, and I think we have over 25 series now, I want to say, in the marketplace. I mean, it's crazy how much it's grown in such a short amount of time. And that's really thanks to these fans, um, teachers, educators, librarians, and, of course, the children who have really taken these series on and and said, we want more, we want it sooner. Um, The best fan mail is the kids that say, why aren't you writing these fast enough? Like. (laughs) (laughs) And my authors always laugh and they say, we can't work any faster. Um, So I think I think it's just been incredible. And so many parents have said, you know, this is the first book that made my child love reading. And those letters are just priceless. That's sensational, Katie. Now, you told us you have a letter from a mom whose child read The Notebook of Doom by Troy Cummings. Would you mind sharing it with us and our listeners? My son is eight years old and has been struggling with reading since he started school. Even though we have been reading to him literally every night before bed since the day he was born and he loves books, he doesn't want to read. He finds the books that are his level boring and the books he is interested in he finds too frustrating. Even with help, his attempt to read a book he wanted to read usually resulted in thrown books and slammed doors. But the biggest change in him has been from your books. I stumbled on the box set of the first five Notebook of Doom books and bought them. Once he started reading them, he couldn't put them down. And our deal was, I read a page, you read a page, or we don't read. So those were the books that were being read every night. And he was taking them to school to read on the bus. This weekend, he finished the 13th book and spent hours looking at Alexander's Notebook of Monsters. I was worried, now what do I give him to read? But this morning, he ran downstairs and said, Mom, I just read the whole book by myself. You did? I said, yes, I read The Balloon Goons again, which is book number one. (laughs) I'm going to read all the books again all by myself this time. Those little books that you write changed his life. This is important work you are doing. So just every time we get these letters, I just am like tearing up at my desk. I'm so thankful I have such wonderful authors who also share all of this joy (laughs) with me because it's just it really is the most rewarding job. Um, I feel like I'm just I'm doing what I set out to do from the beginning, which is really to target these transitional readers and give them what they need to grow. We're all so proud of you, Katie. This is remarkable work. Keep going. (laughs) Now that you've heard the power the Notebook of Doom has for young readers and their families, let's hear from the creator. Here's Troy Cummings. Could you tell our listeners about the Notebook of Doom and your brand new series, The Binder of Doom? The Notebook of Doom is about this boy named Alexander Bach. He moves to this weird town called Sturmont that is full of monsters. Uh, And in each book, we have a new monster and a little mystery around that monster. And Alexander and his friends have to figure out how to stop that monster. 
the monsters are all kind of silly. There's the balloon goons, which are those big wiggly, dancy balloon guys you see outside the cell phone store. Uh, the meat eating vegetables, uh, giant vegetables who take over the school cafeteria where they try to cook and eat all of the students, which is not cool. Uh, and the P-Rex, the Pinata Saurus Rex. It's a giant pinata the size of Godzilla, and it wants revenge for what we do to all the little pinatas. So it goes around smashing buildings. That's the Notebook of Doom. Uh, the Binder of Doom is my new series. It picks up right where Notebook of Doom left off. Um, it takes place during the summer after the Notebook of Doom. And this time around, the kids are finding little cards all over town with clues about the monsters, little game cards. Some of the new monsters include the Boa Constructor, a two-headed snake who likes to build things, and the Speeda Cheetah, which is the world's fastest monster, uh, part cheetah, part race car. I would love for you to read an excerpt from the Notebook of Doom, if you wouldn't mind, and set it up for our listeners. Sure. Uh, so the Notebook of Doom, the first book is called Rise of the Balloon Goons, and it's about those big wiggly balloon goons who bounce around town. Uh, this is toward the end. We find out that all the balloon goons have this um, secret fortress out in the woods. It's a giant bouncy castle, but it's the size of a real castle. Uh, they have captured... Alexander's friend Rip, they're just now becoming friends. They've captured Rip and they've tied him up and Alexander's trying to save Rip. And the only other thing you need to know is that Alexander lost his shoe earlier in the book. All right, chapter 15, ready or not? And not is spelled K-N-O-T. Hold still, said Alexander. It's no use, said Rip. There are too many knots. More balloon goons were pouring into the room. Alexander had to think fast. He jumped straight up came back down, then bounced higher. He came down a second time and a third until he shot up above the tallest goons. They wobbled in place, their eyes fixed on the leaping boy. Alexander bounced higher yet. From way up there, the goons looked small, harmless even. Heads up, shouted Rip. Alexander saw the green balloon goon from the corner of his eye. It twirled something on the end of a string and let it fly. Whack! Alexander was hit by his old shoe and began to fall. He hugged his knees and cannonballed into the crowd. He slammed down onto the green balloon goon. That goon exploded, releasing a blast of air that knocked the rest of the goons to the floor. That, said Rip, was amazing. Alexander shakily stood up. We can take them. One at a time, they're not very strong. Uh-oh, said Rip. Look. The floored balloon goons were crawling toward one another like inchworms. They began twisting their bodies together and had soon braided themselves into one gigantic balloon snake. The massive snake reared its head high, casting a shadow on the boys. <laughs> That's great, Troy. Our listeners don't have the benefit of seeing the hilarious illustrations that go along with this text. What do you hear from your young fans about how the illustrations help them we even become fluent readers, but just engage them more in the story. I get a lot of questions about the illustrations or we'll draw together when I do school visits or I'll sign kids books and draw in their books. Uh, I think it helps. I, I hear from teachers and parents maybe more than the kids about how the illustration helps it help you read the book kind of. So I do a lot of picture books and in picture books, the illustration carries a lot, does a lot of the work. There, there'll be a few words and big pictures carrying a lot of the story. And this is like the next step up kind of. So in a picture book, the other important thing we have are page turns. You turn the page and there's a surprise every time you turn a page. 
And we get to still do this in the Notebook of Doom because the word count is pretty low and it's very heavily illustrated. So every time we turn a page, we hope there's a little surprise there, right? You, mm -hmm. you kind of see the illustration first and you kind of read that page quickly and it kind of pulls you in and then you can start reading the words again um, with every single page in the book. I think that's how it helps uh, make this e not only easy to read, but kind of compelling and pulls you through chapter to chapter through the whole book. And it's just so whimsical and funny. You have that rare gift of being able to see the world through a child's eyes and notice things that adults don't even see. Like, mon <laughs> like monsters. So what goes on in that head of yours all day, Troy? How do you have that gift? When we write these kind of adventure stories, the best way to write these stories is to model them after the way that kids play, right? If you watch kids play on the playground, they are out there making stories. They're pretending to be Harry Potter or superheroes. Or one kid playing at home with Legos they are making a story. They're building this little character and switching the heads around. They're building a castle and that's like the setting and they're hiding treasure and that's the goal and they're making bad guys and that's the problem. They will make a whole story out of Legos. They play that way. So I think that is the model for how we should write, right? Uh, if I'm doing my job right, I think a kid should finish one of these books and feel like they just came back from an epic session of recess. <laughs> Oh, that's terrific. What do you hope your young readers will take away from the books? I hope when readers finish my books, I hope that the first thing they want to do is jump right into another book. I really do think we have this mission of growing new readers, and I think it's working. Uh, I think we also have this other secret mission of growing authors and illustrators. So when the first Notebook of Doom came out, I was so happy I would start to get letters from my readers, and that was awesome. That had never happened to me before. But I was surprised because it wasn't just letters they were sending me. It was illustrations and comics and stories and entire books that they were writing. And now when I go to book signings, there are always a few kids who show up and they will have um, a whole notebook. They've made their own notebook of doom or binder of doom now <laughs> uh, filled with monsters. And each of those monsters feels like it's a whole story. They're creating all these. They're using it as a prompt to make their own stories. Uh, and that is kind of the best thing I could hope for. Oh, well, we're so proud that you're a scholastic author, Troy, and thank you so much. I had so much fun with these books, and I'm, I'm heading on now to Boa Constructor. Oh, very good. <laughs> I hope you like it. Yeah, I'm flying right through. Another beloved best-selling series within the Branches line is Owl Diaries by Rebecca Elliott. These books follow the adventures of Eva Wingdale through her colorful diary entries. Here's Rebecca, along with her editor, Katie. Rebecca, why don't you introduce us to Eva Wingdale, the narrator and heroine of the Owl Diaries series? Okay, so yeah, Eva Wingdale, she is, as you say, the hero of the series. This is a, a diary written in her voice from her. Um, she's a very cute owl who's kind of super busy, very creative, lots of friends. She goes to school, um, Treetop Elementary School. In fact, she lives in Treetopolis with uh, her mum, dad, her little brother, Mo, her big brother, who's quite annoying but charming, uh, Humphrey. And uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's cool. I love writing about her. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea for Eva? So I, well, I love owls. I've always loved uh, writing stories about uh, animals. And 
I think although Eva, obviously she's an owl, she's got that whole owliness going for her, but also she's kind of representing the kid that I was when I was kind of eight years old, in that she's creative, she's all about her friends. So I'm just kind of writing the book that I would have wanted to read when I was eight or nine. You know, it's about animals, but it's also about having friends and setting up clubs and solving mysteries and all that kind of stuff. So I it's love all combined of her clubs. the two. They're like amazing. Yeah. It's so the detectives club and the babysitting club and everything has a club. Everything. Yeah. I love it. And in this series, you really weave together so beautifully, like text, diary entry, speech bubbles, and the images. How does that all come together for you when you're at the drawing board? Yeah, so, so like coming up with the ideas, uh, I, I work fairly closely with Katie here, and uh, we kind of come up with a rough plan first, don't we? Yeah, the outline or kind the of... The outline, and then it kind of grows from there, because first it will be, I'll just write like a paragraph on what the book's going to be about, and we'll discuss that, and then that grows to a kind of chapter plan, what's going to happen in chapter, and again, we, yeah. we, we discuss it and move some bits about, because we want to make sure it's got a really strong beginning, a really great middle, and that super ending with maybe a twist, yeah. that whole thing. And that thing. every chapter has a cliffhanger ending, you know, what's right. going to happen at the end of each chapter. It really helps and- kids to read, you know, and to, to want to turn that page if the page has a kind of cliffhanger yeah. at the end of it, like yeah. so you want to turn the page and see what happens next. Um, and then we kind of build that up and then write the whole the manuscript kind of comes out of that. So it all just yeah. baby steps, builds up and up and up. And when you sketch, when Rebecca sketches, she really, yeah. she places sort of like li- sketchy lines to say, this is where I think text right. will go. This is where I think bubbles, speech bubbles will go. Yeah. And then as we develop it together and the art becomes more final, you know, we'll move things around or resize bubbles, make sure the reading order of the speech bubbles is clear enough and that that kind of we take all of that into account as we're working on the layouts part of the magic of this is getting kids to turn the page and feeling like really able readers absolutely absolutely making it bright and exciting so something new kind of happens on every page if possible um yeah i'm putting loads of speech bubbles in there mixing that up with you know illustrated action and described action and then Eva talking to the reader themselves that kind of draws the reader like they're in the story because Eva's talking directly almost to them you know it makes it so relatable yeah I think so yeah that is part of the beauty of this the owls are like kids I mean they're so like kids yeah how did you manage that yeah I I think, again, it's thinking back to how I I was (laughs) as a kid Um, and, and and yeah getting that kind of that mixture of she's an owl so she's got really interesting kind of world that she lives in so she lives in a tree house she's awake at night time so she's got all these things that kind of twist up her world from from our world and and yet she is kind of relatable i hope to kids in that it is all about friendship and family as well a, lo- a lot of kids books concentrate on friendship and not so much on the family um, but where Eva's, uh, her mom and dad is super important to her. Her relationship with her brothers is, is really important as well. I love that the social skills in here too. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious decision to really have kids learn about how to get along, how to work as a team and how to overcome conflict? Yeah, I think, I think that is important. I, I don't like books who are, which are really going for a strong moral at the end, because I think kids can smell a moral a mile off. Like <laughs> if it's, and, and, and you should always be kind to each other. Then they're just going to go, oh, go away. But if that's implicit, if that's implied throughout the book, um, which I hope these kind of do impart little tiny life lessons of how to deal with, yeah, as you say, conflict. She's, she's got a, a girl in her class called Sue, who's a bit of a bit sassy. She's got her issues. Minnie so I, 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 she's one of my, Minnie McMeanison, yeah, she's one of my favorites, but she's kind of challenging. And how Eva 
kind of, yeah, kind of lens to get, get through those issues. So I, I hope that there are, yeah, subtle little helping hands in life without them smacking around the kids around the face with like, this is how to live. You know? And <laughs> I think Rebecca does an amazing job with dialogue. Like her dialogue is so authentic to how kids speak and act and talk and what's important to them in terms of developing these relationships or working through conflict. And I think it's really how she handles each of those situations that it does really just convey to the reader like, oh, this is what Eva would do in that scenario versus like hitting you over the head with it or making it seem forced in any I way. I think it's because I'm basically still a child. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rebecca, I'd love for you to talk about the art here, which you did. What is your medium? So, yeah. So it, it starts off with little pencil sketches. And then I sketch on my iPad now, actually, to get my ideas across. And then the final medium is actually I, I, I use the, the computer. Um, ah. Mainly because, I mean, firstly, I like the undo button. So if I go wrong, <laughs> yeah, it's got to the point now where if I'm drawing in real life and I go wrong, my brain thinks, where's the undo button? Unfortunately, life doesn't have an undo button. Anyway, so I do it all on the computer and Photoshop so that I can also layer up all the patterns that I use. So it's all still comes from me. The computer doesn't do it for me. It's just simply the medium I use in, instead of a paintbrush so that I can play around more with, with the patterns and get it all exactly how I want it to look. But yeah, and I purposely kind of made her very rounded and like you just want to kind of give her a hug. Uh, yes. You know? um, <laughs> She's adorable. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with with how Eva looks, actually. Can you tell us about your writing environment? Where do the Owl Diaries books come to life? Yes, I know. I write in a in a pod down the end of my garden next to my chickens who keep me company. And it's just, it's a, it's a garden office, but it's this curved thing. Do you ever see any real owls out there? I do hear them a lot. I do have owls in the trees, but I've yet to see one at the back of my garden, but I hear them often. <laughs> what do they say, uh, but, Rebecca? Uh, <laughs> we had this earlier. Okay, so in the UK, right, you know, if you talk about what noise animals make, okay, so dog goes bark ruff, or ruff. woof or woof, yeah, <laughs> ruff, right? And cow goes, no. no, we agree with that. But when it comes to owls in the UK, owls go to wit to woo. And Rebecca tried I know, to put that in a manuscript once and I was like, what? I did. I did. I had loads of puns based around the whole to it to thing. And then you guys are like, no, they just go who? Or, or like, who? Oh, okay. I had no idea. You have to send me a YouTube video of them doing this. To it to is This is the sound how we would in the UK describe. You ask anyone in the UK, what noise does an owl make? And they'll say to it, to it. That is fascinating. So there you go. I, I, oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you both here. Thank you Absolutely. very Thank much. Thank you so much Thank for you. having us. Thank you. Katie, you've had so much success with the Branches series. And now there's a new line of books, Acorn, for slightly younger readers. Could you tell us about it and what distinguishes it from Branches? Yeah, sure. So Acorn, if you think about it in terms of the reading timeline, Acorn comes first and it's aimed at beginning readers who are generally ages four to seven. Um, so as a reminder, Branches are early chapter books and they're that next step. They're ages five to eight and they're more complicated. Um, so Acorn books, they're all made up of story collections. So even though they're all part of series, each book can stand alone versus with Branches where we 
we want that cliffhanger. We want kids to keep going from one book to the next. And the reason for the short story format is that it really gives kids at that level, that beginning reader level, the confidence that they need at that time. So they're able to accomplish one story, finish one story, and feel really good about it and put it aside and read the next one the next day. Um, and that's just so important at this level. You don't want to intimidate them with a really long page count um, or any sort of pressure like that. So as soon as they're done with Acorn, though, the hope is they move right on to <laughs> right onto branches. Um, but yeah, all the Acorn books are full color. They can be either 48 or 64 pages. And technically, they all have a first grade reading level. But they can span, you know, appealing to kids across pre-K through grade two. Go. What led you to go from branches to Acorn? Why did you start Acorn? Similar reasons to why I started Branches, I mean, it really goes back to my classroom experience and what I learned at that time about what kids need and what they want. Um, and even back then, I mean, that was in 2006, I think, that I was still teaching. Um, it, you know, I saw that kids really didn't want to be seen holding a, you know, the traditional leveled readers are like six by nine trim size, and they have that giant button on the front that says, I'm a level one. Um, children don't want to be labeled <laughs> by their level, and they shouldn't be. Um, and so I I think it's long overdue that publishing come out onto the marketplace with something fresh and different for this beginning reader. So while Acorn books still have similar content, similar level of content to what was found in a leveled reader, this is a very different delivery. And kids can feel like they have a more sophisticated package. They can feel like they're on par with their peers. Could you tell us about some of the books that readers can expect in the Acorn line? Yeah, we have a really awesome launch list. Um, our first four titles just went on sale. Um, first up, we have Crabby by Jonathan Fenske, which is laugh out loud funny. Yes, You're yes. already laughing. It's so hysterical. I can't I can't even tell you enough about it. It really, it's just such a page turner, and Crabby has so much personality. So I definitely am a big fan. Then we also have Hello Hedgehog, which is by Norm Feudy, uh, which is an adorable friendship series. So it's, you know, a hedgehog and a guinea pig who are best friends, and it has a very frog and toad-esque tone to it. The characters work together to kind of tackle those common milestones, like riding your first bike without training wheels, going to your first sleepover, um, just really sweet, reassuring stories. Also on our list, we have Unicorn and Yeti, which is by Heather Aris Burnell and illustrated by Hazel Quintanella. And it it is a charming, whimsical, magic and sparkle filled series. Unicorns, rainbow sprinkles, rainbow magic powers. I mean, it's it's fabulous. Um, and then last but not least, we have Dave Pilkey's Dragon series, which we are reissuing within Acorn. Um, and Dragon is just a humble hero with a heart of gold. Um, so we're just we're thrilled to have Dave on our list. I have to say, I absolutely love the Acorn books. They're colorful, they're funny, they're incredibly accessible. One of my favorite series in the Acorn line is the Krabby Books by Jonathan Fenske, who's also the author of the hilarious picture books Plankton is Pushy and Barnacle is Bored. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the program. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you very much for having me. We're delighted to have you and by extension, Krabby and Plankton and Barnacle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Plankton and Barnacle are delighted. Krabby, not so much. <laughs> Could you tell our listeners about your charming, delightful characters? 
Uh, well, I think we all, regarding Krabby, I think we all have that friend who's never happy. And um, what we would call Krabby. So uh, Krabby is that friend who nothing you do will make them happy. And um, I'd already introduced Plankton and Barnacle through some other books. Uh, Barnacle was, of course, bored. You know, if you're a Barnacle sitting around on a pier all day, you're going to get bored. And kind of learned a lesson in the first book I did with Scholastic that maybe being bored isn't such a bad thing. And then Plankton's our little friend who uh, is a little pushy. We all have a friend who's crabby all the time, and we all have a friend who will do whatever they can to get what they want. Plankton is that friend. (laughs) What I thought um, as I wanted Plankton and Barnacle, Plankton is pushy and Barnacle is bored, were my first two books with Scholastic. And as um, I originally intended Crabby to be kind of a, a standalone, a third in that series. But uh, as we got into it, I thought, wow, the interact, the interaction between um, a plankton who wants to get what they want and a crab who doesn't want to give anybody what they want might be interesting. So that's, uh, that's how Hello Crabby came about. And then after the first manuscript, they say, hey, let's do some more. So I said, sure. Yeah, these books are just such a delight. Jonathan, I'd love for you to read an excerpt of Hello Krabby for our listeners. Plankton is not having any luck making inroads into Krabby's art. But uh, so this chapter is called The Cake. The Cake. Hello, Krabby. If I told you I baked you an awesome cake, would you still be Krabby? Why did you bake me a cake? It is not my birthday. I know. It is not your birthday. I know. Hmm, it is not bake your friend a cake day. I know. So you bake me a cake for no reason? Yep. Hmm, seems fishy to me. A little fish swims by saying, is that a bad thing? Okay, okay, says Plankton. There is a reason I baked you a cake. Ha, I knew it. I baked you a cake because you are crabby. And I don't want you to be crabby. So I like being crabby. But your crabby is making me crazy. And your crazy is making me more crabby. Well, you won't be crabby when you see this cake. Yes, I will probably still be crabby. No, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Whatever. Abby, Tabby, and Blabby, bring in the cake. Wow, that is some cake. Ooh, did I just see a little smile? No, I am pretty sure that was a smile. It was not a smile. Uh Uh-huh, well, a yummy chocolate cake would make me smile. It was not a smile. And, for the record, I prefer lemon cake. So, are you going to eat some cake? I was not planning on it. Tap, tap. Whistle, whistle, says Plankton. Twitch, twitch. He can't stand it. Just eat the cake, please. Oh, all right. Give me some cake. So Plankton slices a piece of cake for Krabby. Krabby very dramatically chews and eats it. Plankton can't stand it. Well, 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 what did you think? It is a little dry. Oh, Crabby is too crabby. And that's the end. But the last page, 
There are no words, but you see Krabby secretly taking another slice of cake while Plankton <laughs> is not looking. I wondered how seeing characters that are pushy or crabby, but in a way that make kids laugh, help children better understand and, and accept their own emotions. Well, you know, I think that kids sometimes, especially I know I have three daughters myself, and they're all very different. On some levels, you know, my wife and I wish they could be like us, you know, but it's funny. They're not exactly like us because they'd be easier to understand that way if, if, the, if they did share all our similar emotions. I mean, but even among the three, I mean, there's some characteristics that they share with my wife and I and some that are just vastly different. And I think all children need to know that, you know, if a, if a kid is pushy or a kid is crabby, to see a, a crab that's crabby or a plankton that's pushy maybe helps them to understand, hey, it, it's okay to be this way. You know, it's I don't have to change everything about myself because, you know, we're already telling them what to do, when to brush their teeth, when to go to bed, when to eat. But I think it's really important for children to be able to see themselves um, in a book or maybe see what they don't want to be in a book because I think they'd be more inclined to change or be happy with how they are by reading a book that is kind of strange to them that by having their parents tell them to change or not change. Gosh, you just dropped some very wise words about parenthood. <laughs> you oh. <laughs> expressed so succinctly, really, what is, is such a truth about different personalities in one household and how you all learn to get along, I guess, and see your differences as strengths in a way and learn from each other. My oldest daughter, I will not name her name, um, is very strong-willed. You know what? That will serve her well. It was hard to adjust to at first, but now that I see it and she grows older and is in her teendom, I just, I see that as something that's going to serve her well. And getting back even to the printed word here to your books, how does a format with lots of colorful images and humor and laughter help kids develop a love of reading, which Acorn is all about? I mean, we've all seen children's drawings. They don't see the world in, you know, shades of gray and white pencil sketches with heavily modeled and illustrated. They see things very simply. You ask them to draw a dog and it's, you know, black line with some color that may or may not stay in the lines. But it's usually kind of a happy thing to look at. And I think they just relate to that. Mm -hmm. I think the simplicity of something that's colorful, one, it brings out an emotion of happiness. And two, you're speaking like a kid. I mean, you're not trying to speak to a kid. You're trying to speak like a child, I think. And that's what's important. Um, you know, that's what I try to do when I create books. I don't want to, I don't want to teach the child something or speak to them. I want to speak like them. I want them to feel like they're talking to a friend or conversing with a friend when they read one of my books. And I think that's what the happy illustrations and the humor does. Thanks so much to Katie, Troy, Rebecca, and Jonathan for joining me. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the Branches and Acorn books, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, associate producer Mackenzie Cutrizula, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. 
We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.